ты you делаешь он he делает Hello. Welcome back to the Wild Business Growth Podcast. This is your place to hear from a new entrepreneur or innovator every single Wednesday morning who's turning wild ideas into wild growth. I'm your host, Max Brandstetter, founder and podcast producer at Max Podcasting. And you can email me at max at maxpodcasting.com to save time with your high-quality podcast. This is episode Dirty 135, and today's guest is Casey Luck. She is the founder and CEO of Luck & Co., the company that helps e-commerce stores kick ass at email marketing. As my buddy Brian Rosen says, the world is her oyster, and she has one of the most fascinating resumes of international travel, even living around the world, that you will ever hear about. In this interview, we talked about how to increase your revenue with email marketing, how to grow your email list, what to do with those dormant subscribers, many more things in the space, and uh, the whole thing's in Russian, so good luck with that. Could you imagine? It is Casey Luck, your lucky charm. Enjoy the show. Alrighty, we are here with Casey Luck, the luckiest wild business growth podcast guest in history, founder and CEO of Luck & Co. Casey, how are you doing? Thanks for joining today. Hey, Max. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Yes, yes, me too. This is really cool. And one of the many things that blows me away about your background is I totally geek out about people who have traveled the world and have lived in different places around the world. For a little perspective, you were born in Russia. You went to university in Bulgaria. You've spent lots of time in the U.S. as well. As if that wasn't enough, you spent a semester at sea. I've always thought that was so cool. How was your experience during the semester at sea? It was amazing. Um, the way it happened was also pretty cool because nobody knew about Semester at Sea at my college in Bulgaria. And I heard about it through some friends of friends at some point when I was traveling in the U.S. And when everybody was doing exchange programs in our college, I kind of remembered about it. We made it happen with my boyfriend at a time and now husband. Um, and so we went together and it was incredible. Like the way the way you would imagine uh, a couple of college kids living on a big ship uh, for a semester and traveling throughout 17 cities, I think we went to on that single semester. So it was wild. That is wild. Very fitting. What was the most memorable city or country experience that you had? Oh, <laughs> I was not prepared for questions about semester at sea. I'm, I'm just here to surprise you. I'm here to catch you off guard. <laughs> Excellent. Great research, too. I remember that my favorite country was Argentina, and I actually wanted to go and live there after college. That's how much I liked it. The South Africa was crazy. I will remember it forever because we did, um, there's a big mountain in uh, in Cape Town called the Table Mountain. Mm. We went to hike that mountain and we were like, we didn't know what we were signing up for. We had one little bottle of water and no food. And we did not realize that it was a strenuous, like five, six hour hike upwards for the whole time. I remember uh, my my husband taking videos of me just sitting like half crying and listing all the foods that I'm going to eat 
as soon as I have access to food. And I, <laughs> in that video, I say like, I'm going to eat a watermelon and ice cream and like all, all the great things that I was craving at that time, because we were so hungry and so dehydrated. It was crazy. So that was memorable. Yeah, I, I will say that I haven't been there yet, but I, I do want to go there at some point. But I've seen pictures of that mountain. It seems like no joke. So I, uh, <laughs> I'm glad that you've since recovered and I'm sure have taken some time to try out each and every one of those foods that you listed off there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What was it like living on a ship for so long? It was good. I did not, you know, some people do have like problems with seasickness and stuff like that. I didn't for the most part. Um, the hardest part was that we had a um, a room with no windows. We had the cheapest possible option. So when you're inside, it's impossible to tell what part of the day it is. And so you always want to sleep and you just sleep for hours and hours and you want to sleep more, especially at the beginning. Um, so that was tough. The rest of it was incredible. Uh, it's always beautiful. There's always sea uh, all around you. There are dolphins, flying fish, even whales at some point. It's awesome. And there are like 500 students um, around you. So there are always people to meet and fun conversations to have. And the professors there were actually super cool too. And they would do like uh, a non-class lecture thing <laughs> in the auditorium. And it would all be connected to the countries that we go to. I think the reason why even studying on the ship was so exciting was because everything was in the context of the countries that we were going to. So I was taking a literature class and we were studying authors from the countries where we were going to. So I would read about a place or I would read a novel based in a place and then we would go to that place and meet with the author and she would provide additional context on how she wrote that and why. So of course, all of that makes everything very exciting and very real. Very, very real. I think what makes me a little bit scared just thinking about it is the claustrophobia aspect of being in a room with no windows like that, having no sense of where you are or what time of day it is. And of course, the huge factor of if you're somebody who gets seasick, which me like being on cruises in the past, usually like I'm good for most of the time, but there's always one day it kind of catches up with me. So I, I couldn't imagine being on one for so long. But then on the flip side of that, being able to experience so many different places and countries and continents around the world. And as you said, go and like visit and like meet these people that you talk about in class the day before. That is really, really cool. So it just sounds like a once in a lifetime experience. Let's get to email marketing, which is like a perfect segue from semester at C. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you are someone who knows a ton about email marketing, have built a business and building a career around email marketing. Where were you first exposed to email marketing in the first place? That happened um, at my first job at 500 Startups. Um, when I came back to the U.S. after college, um, after studying um, at American University in Bulgaria, I was looking for jobs. Honestly, I was applying for everything. Uh, and it just so happened that I started working at 500 Startups, which ended up being an incredible and amazing first job. I applied for a marketing role. They took me in for an operations role. 
it became pretty clear very soon that I could do more than operations. So I started helping with marketing little by little. I was on the events marketing team and their main marketing channel for selling tickets to those events was email. It was fun and I loved the combination of analytical work and creative work. That kind of defined my career. It definitely has. And email marketing, one of the first things I think about is how it's a great opportunity and it's kind of it's a no-brainer that a lot of businesses can do it. It can it can add to your business, but it's also really challenging. And there's a lot of testing and learning at the start. And over time, you know, open rates, click-through rates now compared to where they were 10, 20 years ago, it's a totally different ballgame. It's much more challenging. When did it finally start clicking, pun intended, that <laughs> you were pretty good at this email thing? And actually you're getting better and, and seeing some results from the campaigns that you're doing. I don't know. I would say, well, first I was learning about it, um, but it all came so naturally that I I just started managing um, our team's email program very soon. At 500 Startups, I was doing more and more email and it started clicking then and there. (laughs) Nice one. (laughs) So you're doing this for another company and I know you started blogging on your own. You have Bold and Zesty and we're blogging about things in the space where did the idea to become an entrepreneur and start Luck & Co. come from? I'll, I'll answer this question, but I wanted to go back to something that you said 10 years ago um, or more. The open rates were much higher than now um, and all of the metrics were completely different. That is true, but it's also interesting how um, some of this stuff comes back. For example, last year during COVID, everybody saw increased open rates and click-through rates in email. Um, And that is because, of course, everybody was uh, spending a lot of time online. Still probably not at the level where it was 10 years ago. I was not uh, doing email 10 years ago, but it's interesting how everything is sort of cyclical, um, even though, of course, technology moves forward. Luck and come. So this story also goes back to my passion for travel, because when I was at 500 Startups, at some point, I just, okay, so I've always had this dream and this goal of traveling the world for at least a year, um, where like travel was my main thing for a year. And while I was at 500 startups, I was planning this year where I would just quit my job and go travel. And eventually that's what I did. Um, And it was really weird. It was like my first job. It was going really well, but I was just craving adventure. So I just said, hey guys, I'm gonna go travel the world. Everybody thought I was a little crazy, but that's what I wanted to do. And that coincided with, so that was my plan. But then at the same time, my husband was invited to direct like a feature documentary film. And I think we were like 22 at that time. Like I knew he had to do it. And that was in Bulgaria. There's a big film studio there that is a sister company of Universal Pictures. And so we went to Bulgaria. So instead of traveling the world, I was just living in Sofia, Bulgaria. And I was thinking about what should I do? And I was following all these people like Remit City um, who really preaches like build your own business and like do a blog or whatever. So I was studying all that stuff and I was thinking, hey, what can I write about? Like, what is one thing that I can teach somebody about? It ended up being email marketing because I thought that's, that's the topic that I know the most about, like a professional topic that would be valuable to other people. So that's why I started a blog about email marketing and I was writing about it for a while. I created a course eventually. Of course, I had my own email list. So that experience was very interesting. Um, it, it is a little bit meta and I was always the word. I felt a little bad about it. It's like 
a course about building courses. So my email list was about creating and running email lists. Uh, but it was still a great experience because that really taught me what I was preaching. So it actually reinforced everything for me and gave me that experience. Uh, then we came back to California. Um, I worked for a startup. It failed. I decided that I don't want to find another job. And so I started doing marketing consulting, uh, just kind of being like an independent marketing person coming in um, to different companies um, to help with projects. And I was doing all kinds of things. Like I was doing conversion optimization, um, event marketing, something else. It was so broad. And I was really feeling how that was limiting. I did want to have a company that I could scale beyond me. I knew that if I continue to take on projects that were all over the place, helping you know everybody who would reach out to me, I wouldn't be able to scale this beyond myself as luck would have it. <laughs> no oh, good one. B- bravo. I just <laughs> round of applause. <laughs> I did a couple of projects uh, with e-commerce companies. And previously I was kind of afraid of B2C to be honest, because all of my experience was in B2B. And I imagined that B2C would be a completely different world, like B2C marketing, and I wouldn't know what to do there. But a couple of e-commerce companies found me and I helped them with email. And I just saw an immediate and very significant impact on their revenue uh, from the work that I did for them. And I was like, huh, if I were to niche down, this could be a great niche. So I sat on it for a while. Uh, I did. A, I finally did my year of travel in 2019, which was great timing. At the end of that year, I just decided that uh, I need to try this, like limiting what I do and who I do it for. So I decided to just focus on email marketing and just do it for e-commerce companies. Uh, I called this thing Luck & Co. Uh, I'm pretty bad at naming, I think. I think Bold and Zesty is so funny. So I just went with the kind of what was on the surface. Luck is my uh, the, the last name, my American last name that I created for myself. So here we are today. You know, it's a good name. It's memorable. And there's a lot of positive connotations with luck. And there's a lot of opportunity to use it in puns and dad jokes and all sorts of things. So <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good to me. Since you brought it up, what is your full birth name? Uh, my full birth name is Ksenia Lukanova. All right. Casey Luck it is. Yep. <laughs> no, no, it's a really cool name, but I definitely like Luck is certainly easier to remember. Probably people asking you less about how to pronounce it. Yeah, yeah. And when I, I picked Casey Luck when I started that blog because I realized that A, people need to be able to pronounce it and more importantly, people need to be able to remember it. So even if people learn how to pronounce Ksenia Lukanova, it's just such a big ask to uh, to ask them to remember it. So I went with luck, Casey Luck. As luck would have it. <laughs> you found kind of your niche in e-commerce and you realize that, hey, I can really help these brands to grow their revenue with email. What are some of the top ways to do that? Well, there are two big components to email marketing when it comes to e-commerce companies, probably all companies, um, but there's email automation and their email campaigns. So the first thing that I would recommend everybody does is uh, make sure that everything that can be automated is automated. And really the most important thing in marketing in general, including email marketing, is really understanding your customer journey with your company and their like 
purchasing journey um, and making sure that you're creating content and you're sending content to them at the right time to support the process that they're going through. So instead of trying to kind of force your own process on them and kind of saying, hey, you should be doing like you should be um, adding stuff to your cart at this point in time, and then you should be checking out like these are the features of our products and this is why you need to buy it. Instead, taking the time to understand how they are thinking about this purchase. So maybe they need to consult with their family members to buy the specific product that you're selling to them. Maybe it takes them two to three days to do that. Kind of the selling point and the benefit that's really going to do it for them is not something that's like top of the mind for them, but top of mind for their family members. So Things like that, of course, they're going to be super different for every brand, but that's what really helps. From there, it's just putting all those things that you learn about your customers into emails, like spacing it out uh, correctly, giving your reader one thing at a time, like one thing one thing to process at a time and one thing to do at a time. Um, so this goes back to making your emails very clear, concise, short, um, and making calls to action very prominent so that there can be no question about what this email is asking you to do. Yeah, just making sure that you're covering all your bases. So for example, um, what are the top like top moments of a, a user interacting with your brand? It's when they subscribe to your email list, so you need to have a welcome flow. It's when they view a product, so you need to have a browse abandonment flow. It's when they add stuff to cart. Um, start a checkout, when they actually make a purchase, when the product is shipped, when it's time to reorder from you, and then when it's really time to reorder from you, meaning that customer is about to churn um, and you want to bring them back. And also one time point, uh, which a lot of companies overlook when a subscriber becomes dormant and there are specific tactics that help you try to re-engage them and kind of wake them up and bring them back to your email list. Um, and if they don't re-engage, then it's time to clean them um, from your list. Right. Which is something that is funny because like, it's scary to think about how much time you spend building email lists. And then it's like, wait, there's actually people you want off the email list. It makes sense when it's somebody who's who's not a good fit there. An email like that, where somebody's dormant, what does that look like? Emails like that perform the best if they're plain text emails, which is very different from what most um, e-commerce companies send most of the time, which are you know beautifully designed HTML emails. When it comes to re-engaging your dormant subscribers, it performs the best. And it's also an interesting um, marketing strategy that people actually like recognize and appreciate. Um, so you send them a plain text email. It looks just like any personal email that would hit your inbox from your mom or from your friend. Um, and it needs to be written from the first person. So we, you, if it's a smaller brand, it's great if you just address it from the founder. If it's a bigger brand, your head of customer support is a great person to write this from. It's another, um, another tip is to segment this um, based on whether they purchased from you or not, because the language will differ a little bit. So if they purchased from you, you say, oh, hey, Casey, we've noticed that you you purchased X um, a few months ago. So we just wanted to check in and see how's your experience. Do you have any questions? If you do reply to this email, I'd love to hear from you. So it's really powerful if uh, you use I instead of we. Emails actually feel personalized. Um, and then you sign off as, you know, Jessica at your brand name. How'd you know my name was Jessica? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think what's really cool is 
just in that email example right there, you can tell that it can be really impactful to be personal. It's just to talk to somebody, you know, like you know them and, you, you know, you can relate to them on a personal level. And this goes back to what you were saying at the start. You really want to get into the mindset of the customer. What's their journey? You know, what does this look like from their end? When are they receiving these emails? What's their purchase process look like? How do you familiarize yourself with the customer journey in the first place? As an agency, when we work with e-commerce partners, a lot of times when we start the project, we rely on their knowledge of their customers, knowing that some of it is going to be their assumptions. Um, and so some of the things we'll have to learn in the process. It's great if you can do, like as a brand, if you can do qualitative research where you ask all of these questions in a survey. Um, and we do do that with some of the brands as we continue moving forward. Surveys like that, well, it's tricky because you really are trying to get into the like into their mindset and learn a lot of qualitative things um, as opposed to just kind of where do you live and stuff like that. It's tricky to analyze those surveys because everything is qualitative and you actually need to read through uh, hundreds of answers. Ask questions like, what were you initially searching for when you eventually found our brand? And what we're trying to get to is like not the products that they were searching for, but what is the pain point that they're coming from? What initially triggered the need, like even for this category in that person? Surveys, um, founder knowledge and gut feeling, and they usually have um, a good amount of that based on their experience. Customer support teams um, are great because they actually process a lot of questions um, and a lot of uh, hesitations that people send to them. So definitely consult with your support team. And yeah, just kind of um, really listening to your customers on social media, um, on whatever channels that they reach out to you. Some of those things can be automated. And automation is another big piece, kind of like a pillar of email marketing if you do it right. What tips can you share to make sure that you're automating the right way and not getting to the point that it's like overly automated. And next thing you know, you're like hitting the customer upside the head every day with an email. <laughs> <laughs> an important thing here is kind of strategically and high level understanding the differences between email automation and email campaigns, or in other words, newsletters that are not automated that are just sent uh, manually sent and done once. Automated emails are emails your users, your shoppers are kind of requesting from you, not in the literal sense, but by completing some kind of action on your site, they're indicating to you that they need this type of information right now. For example, when somebody subscribes to your email list, they're indicating that they want to hear more about your brand. They want to know you know, why they should buy from you. And they probably want to know what other people, like whether other people trust you or not. When something like that happens, that means that this communication needs to be automated because it happens multiple times per day, maybe hundreds of times per day. You need to be in the right place at the right time to deliver this type of information to the person. Same thing when they start at checkouts. Um, if you're an e-commerce brand, I just recommend having email flow set up for each major action that a person takes on your site. And there are not so many of those. They're pretty basic. And um, even if you Google top email flows that I should have, um, you'll probably get 70, 75% of them um, from, from the first listicle blog post that comes up um, or like talk to other your peers in the industry and see what they're doing. 
growing your email list and getting people to opt in is such a challenge for so many. It can be so helpful, but it's also you have to do it the right way and have to you know commit a good amount of time to it. In your experience, what is the best way to grow your email list? The best way to grow an email list for e-commerce companies is simply having like high quality, good traffic on your site. So working on your traffic and having a great email opt-in. With e-commerce sites, I would say that list growth shouldn't be a big additional time uh, resource uh, because you're already working on your traffic, your need traffic for your business. It's like acquisition is one of the main uh, things that should be focused on. You're already, you are already working on your traffic. The next step is making sure you have that great email opt-in. And what a great email opt-in is, A, you're providing value. So whether that's a discount, whether that's access to something exclusive or something else, maybe it's a digital resource, even if you're an e-commerce company, but it makes sense and it's relevant for you to offer a digital resource, a video tutorial, a recipe book, something else. Um, it could be that. Um, offering something of value and then making sure that you're actually showing that. So having a pop-up on your site that uh, shows up in, in the right time for the users. Easy to read, easy to digest, easy to process, meaning it's super easy like to put your email address in and click submit. All those things will, will, be, will put you ahead of a lot of other brands in terms of growing your list. It's easy everything. It makes, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, when, you were, when you were talking earlier about every email message that you send needs to be really clear and to the point about what it is from the customer's perspective. There, I mean, everybody's got enough emails going around. There's no, nobody wants to look at something and not know instantly what it's about. So it's easy that it's easy with the process. I like, I like the easy approach here. Yeah. And as you, as you were saying that, I realized that maybe this is what really trained me. It kind of goes back to one of one of the questions that I know you ask on your podcast about pet peeves. So maybe I'm jump, jumping ahead here, but Go mine is clear organization of everything, but especially information. It's also empathy. So it's being able to put yourself in the shoes of the person that you're asking to do something for you. And if you're asking me to do something for you, then you have to make it absolutely like the easiest it can be. This is not only about marketing. It's also just about kind of um, work process on the team. Uh, if you're asking your partner to do anything, I'm very particular about this. Um, and I was just going through through the process of training, training a new teammate on our team. And I realized how, like, how particular I am about this. And I thought this was like a natural thing that everybody thinks about. Like if you're sending me a doc and asking me to review, then by like the moment I open it, it needs to be extremely clear like where things are, what this is about, what this is relating to. And if there are other dogs that I need to see before I can process this information, then those dogs need to be linked at the top of this doc. Like this is common sense. <laughs> right. I don't know if everybody does it, but now I'm realizing maybe like my, um, my experience in marketing trained me to do this type of thing in my day-to-day -day life. There's always room to organize a little bit more. I'm totally with you there. <laughs> Does a podcast fit with your organization? See what I did there? <laughs> All right. If you're looking for help getting your podcast off the ground, you can email me at max at maxpodcasting.com. I can also help if you have an existing podcast and would like to get some of those 
many, many awful hours it takes to do the editing and the behind the scenes work. If you want to take that work off your plate, but free up that time for however you best want to spend it, email me at max at maxpodcasting.com. Now, to switch gears or to get wild, or to switch gears and get wild, hit it. Let's switch gears a little bit. Let's get to a fan favorite segment called the Wild Business Shoutout of the Week. The Wild Business Shoutout of the Week! Woohoo! Yeah, that was, I, I like the woohoo. <laughs> Cool. Wild business shout out of the week. This is where we talk about a marketing campaign, creative marketing approach that caught our attention. There's something with the brand Adore Me that still to this day really, really resonates with you and caught your attention. You mind sharing what they did and, and why you think it works? I saw, I actually can't remember the like the first time I came across it, but I'm pretty sure I just saw it um, on, on social and it was a video themed around St. Valentine's Day. Um, Oh yeah, so like the theme and the topic and the question in it was, what do you want for this St. Valentine's Day? The brand Adore Me featured a few different women of all uh, races and ages, life positions, uh, meaning like a student, (laughs) I've never heard it as life position, but I like that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what to call it. (laughs) Like different, different times in their life. Right, life position. Yeah. they asked them, what do you want for uh, the St. Valentine's Day? You know, those women just gave it to you straight what they actually want. Some people said, I want to finalize my divorce. Uh, I want a few bottles of wine and, uh, you know, and somebody to come fix my apartment. I want my car detailed. One, My favorite was a middle-aged woman pushing a stroller with a baby and with a straight face saying, I want to be dominated. And a book (laughs) of love coupons would be nice. It's like all kinds of things and it's so real. And what like the first thing that I did, I think I was shown this as like as a paid ad. And then I went to YouTube, wasn't uh, super easy to find it. So I have like, I had to overcome some hurdles to actually find this video. And I did that because I loved it so much. It has over 10 million views just on YouTube. And I know that they did like native, native video in Facebook and Instagram and other other channels as well. And I checked out the comments under the video and I saw people, women and men writing the exact same thing. They say, I know an ad works if after seeing it as an ad, I go and search for it online. And I think that is so strong. And I think that is a great example of actually listening to your customers because the door me could be another Victoria's Secret. And this is like anti-Victoria's Secret ad. And they really took time to understand all types of customers that they have um, and portray them in this video in such a true and real way. And because of that, that resonated with their audience. And I'm sure like they, one of the reasons why this video has so many views is because they boosted it with ads. But also I know that people did share it and people did go and search for it. Um, So I think it had a great word of mouth as well. Dominated it, (laughs) I guess. Um, (laughs) Yeah. That's a good rule to live by. I know an ad is working when I actually take the time to go search it after the fact. So many people complain about ads. If you get something that people like so much, they actually take time out of their day, whatever they're doing, to look it up and watch it again. Oh, yeah. Maybe maybe share it with a friend or family member. That's when something really hit the nail on the head. And I think the way you described it, obviously, there are elements of humor, 
some elements that were relatable. There was just a, a different approach than you're used to seeing, especially mm-hmm. in this space. Speaking of unusual things, and you unusually alluded to it earlier, that's a lot of views. <laughs> Let's get to the unusual pet peeves, quirks, weird talents. You already got the pet peeve off the list. So we'll, we'll stick with quirks and weird talents. What is something a little bit quirky or unique about your personality that maybe your husband or, or somebody calls you out for? I uh, don't hold myself back with like singing and dancing. And it doesn't <laughs> matter if I'm in public, um, like the, the setting doesn't matter at all. It actually like often makes my husband very uncomfortable. <laughs> but I, I think have, he's I growing <laughs> he's growing to accept it and I get very mad when he like tells me not to do it because I'm like come on my heart sings you should be happy like this is great I just want to dance and I'm gonna dance uh so <laughs> so it's a work in progress but maybe that's that's a good one yeah that, yeah that's perfect I can only imagine the look on your husband's face when you're in like a, a very public area <laughs> doing it but no <laughs> that's great the more people seeing and dancing the better how about weird talents? What's a weird talent that you have? You know, I realized that I am really good at games the first time I play them. Game, like what kind of games? Any type of games. Card games, board games. Yeah, so like the first time I play something, I almost always win. But then it wears off the, like the more I play the less that effect is there. When I was in high school, I did an, like I lived in Russia, I did an exchange year um, in California. So there was this time when I played a very weird card game with my friend and his family. This game is in their family. Like they play generations over generations. And it was the first time I learned that game. My friend's dad, basically it was his thing. He always won. And so I just learned this game and he's been playing it all his life. And I won. And it made him so mad. And like stuff like that happens all the time. And it's kind of very cool. But I, by now, I know that it's just like that first few, t- maybe like one single time, the first time I played or first couple times I played, I usually stop after that because now I know I'm going to win the first few times and then <laughs> I might not. So I just remove myself from the game. You have beginner's luck. Yes, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Could not resist there. No, you're, I mean, you're really good at learning new things quickly. I mean, obviously that's helped you in the email marketing space and business space as well. I think there's a lot of luck too. <laughs> Literally. Let's wrap up with rapid fire Q&A. You ready for it? Yes. All right. Let's get wild. What is the coldest Russia winter quick story you have? <laughs> like, have you seen like stuff frozen in midair? Like what? I'm just trying to get a, a sense of how cold it is in the winter there. So I never understood how snow snowfall can be measured in inches and that's something that I came across when I moved to the U.S. like they measure snow in inches it's impossible it's like two stories worth of snow you can't measure it in inches (laughs) I'm in Russia right now visiting my family and it's the coldest winter in 150 years or something or the snowiest in 150 years Oh, actually, you know, I didn't see this in person. I saw it on TV, but I'm pretty sure it's real. Uh, because of, because there is so much snow, they're like snow cleaning 
car things, <laughs> snow cleaning cars um, that like go around and clean uh, like backyards, uh, like space um, between houses and stuff like that. This car like went into a huge snow uh, pile of snow to clean it. But there was a car inside that the guy didn't realize was there. And so he oh, just no. like, picked up a whole car and that car was uh, probably damaged pretty badly. I, I would say so. That's not a good place to park. <laughs> well, nowhere is a good place to park in a winter like this. <laughs> a garage is. Very true. I'm, I'm cold thinking about it. <laughs> what was the hardest thing about learning English? English is such a simple language. It's a really? very easy language. I, I love English. Of course, you guys don't have... <laughs> I was going to say, you guys don't have anything. No. Like, <laughs> in, in the... <laughs> And this is not what I wanted to say, but it's not what I meant. For example, well, one, conjugations, right? Everybody's kind of familiar with conjugations. In English, there are only two ways that the, the verb changes. I do, he does. So it's either does or do in this tense. In Russian, there are six ways to, like, in which you would change a verb depending on how it's used in the sentence. So verb conjugation is pretty common in languages, like most Western European languages have that. So people are more or less familiar with this fact. In Russian, you also need to change the nouns in six or seven different ways based on how they're used in the sentence. And the same goes for adjectives. So I have no idea how um, other people learn Russian. It's so complicated. English doesn't have any of that. So it's a godsend. I'm so glad that English is like this universal <laughs> world language. It's it's the best. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because I, I was uh, scared I was going to have to learn Russian for this entire interview. And that would have not gone well. <laughs> <laughs> no. Can you share what an example of that? Like, how do you say I do and he does or some examples of that in Russian? Yeah, so let's start with English. I do, you do, you plural, meaning like multiple people. Um, you do, they do, uh, he, she does. We do. That's that's all of them. In Russian, the verb is, yeah, the infinitive is делать. And it's I делаю, ты, you, делаешь. On, he, делает, мы, we, делаем, they, они, делают. It kind of sounds very similar, but the ending is different. Like you, you can't use it inter interchangeably. So if you're saying we, you have to say делаем. If it's I, it's делаю and stuff like that. Perfect. That's exactly what I was going to guess all those words were. You read my mind there. <laughs> On a totally unrelated note, what is your favorite email marketing tool or platform? Well, my favorite email marketing platform for actually sending emails is for e-commerce companies is Klaviyo. I'm a very big fan of Klaviyo. I think they created a fantastic platform. I think the reason they did is because they focused and they really set out to create an email marketing platform for e-commerce companies, not for everybody. And that's why it works so well. There is a tool, there are a couple of tools that I really like for email inspiration and competitive research, reallygoodemails.com. And another one is MailCharts. 
And mail charts is really cool because you can pick a brand and actually see their email calendar in the calendar view. And then if you have a subscription with mail charts, you can see their email automations. Well, some of their, some of their email automations. So that's really cool if you want to do a little uh, spying project. <laughs> <laughs> All for spying projects. Really good emails. That's yes. <laughs> a, a very a simple and memorable brand name as well. So yeah, yeah, I think it's great. And then last one, if you were creating your own semester at sea, what are three places that absolutely you would visit? Australia. You have to go to Melbourne and then you have to go to the Great Barrier Reef as well. Somewhere in South America, for sure. I love South America, Argentina or Colombia. It could be anything. Oh, it has to be St. Petersburg, Russia. It was actually our first stop on semester at sea, St. Petersburg. It was really great that the first stop for like all of these 500 students was St. Petersburg. And we were the only, the two out of three students from Russia on the ship. So uh, we were popular <laughs> at the beginning of the trip because everybody wanted to ask us questions. So it will be uh, Australia, St. Petersburg, Russia, and let's say Buenos Aires, Argentina. Perfect. I think you got a, a wonderful trip plan there. Awesome. All right. Well, Casey, thank you so much. This has been amazing. Really appreciate your stories, everything from travel to email marketing to the Luck & Co story. This is extra special for me. My family business, Hippo Direct, specializes in mailing lists and email lists. And so like, I've literally grown up with this sort of thing. So always enjoy talking about these things. Yay. Yes. <laughs> we got a woohoo and a yay. <laughs> Where is the best place for people to connect with you and to learn more about Luck & Co? LinkedIn is the best place to find me. Uh, I'm Casey Luck, Casey with a K. And I try to post fun, interesting, valuable things there. Luckandco.agency. Perfect. And last thing here, Stage is yours. Final thoughts. It could literally just be a quote or a quick piece of advice. Send us off here. Dance whenever you feel like dancing. It doesn't matter if people are looking or not. Dance more. Sometimes you just got to dance. I know what you're talking about, Casey. Thank you so much, Casey, for coming on the show, sharing your wonderful stories. And thank you, wild listeners, for tuning into another episode. If you want to hear more wild stories like this one, Make sure to follow the Wild Business Growth Podcast on your favorite platform and tell a friend about the podcast. You can also check us out, find out what I'm listening to and many others on Good Pods. And for any help with podcast production, you can learn more at maxpodcasting.com. Until next time, let your business run wild. Bring on the bongos! <laughs> <laughs>